Hello, this is Technology Corner for the week of July 16, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in far less than an hour because we leave out the sports, the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. First up this week, Corel Graphics Suite X3. Apple has been promoting X, but of course they pronounce it as 10 for their operating system, and now Corel seems to be using X to mean 10, but they're pronouncing it X. So Corel Graphics Suite X3, which of course means 13. Uh, There's been some suspicion about Corel releases, but the suspicion hasn't involved 13. The suspicion actually involved even-numbered releases, 4, 6, 8, 10, those guys. And in the past, for some reason, Corel seemed to have a lot of trouble with even-numbered releases. The odd-numbered releases seem to come out in fairly good shape, but the even-numbered releases often had serious problems. Well, this is not an even-numbered release, and in the recent past, even-numbered releases have been pretty good. And this one, being not an even-numbered release, and being a current release, checks in as pretty good. But first, I do have a complaint. Every version for at least a decade, probably longer, I have tested whenever the program comes out in hopes that they have eliminated a feature. I would call it a bug. They call it a feature. The problem is when you export graphics to the web, and CorelDRAW is an application that is used to create a lot of web graphics, when you export these graphics to the web, you're going to send them out as a GIF or a JPEG. And in most cases, if there's text involved, and since this is CorelDRAW, typically there's going to be some text involved, you're going to want to turn anti-aliasing on. Anti-aliasing creates a smoother image. It makes the text easier to read by eliminating jagged edges. It also makes the text look more natural. If you don't turn anti-aliasing on, you get big blobby text with jagged edges on lines that are not vertical or horizontal. Anything that's not exactly vertical or not exactly horizontal will have jagged edges. Anti-aliasing takes care of that. The problem with the way Corel has implemented anti-aliasing is that the program anti-aliases the bounding rectangle. So when you put this graphic on the website, you see a little anti-aliased rectangle around your graphic. You don't want that. You want it to fade into the background. You want it to just be there. But instead, there's a light line all around the rectangle, and even worse in the corners where the anti-aliased left edge is anti-aliased with the left side of the upper edge, you get an even lighter pixel. So there's a single pixel in each corner that's very bright. This is not a good idea. Uh, What most people have done to get around this is they export the file to a TIFF, open it in Fireworks, and export it from there. Well, that's silly. Or they export it as a GIF and then open it in, for example, PhotoPaint to stay within the Corel family and edit the resulting file to reduce the size by two pixels. One pixel top, one pixel bottom, one pixel left and right. So it's a total of two pixels, vertical and horizontal. Well, that's kind of silly. Or they'll open it in PhotoPaint and go in and manually change the color of every pixel in the border. Well, that's pretty silly. 
The good news, well, the sort of good news is that it's sort of fixed this time. Not entirely fixed, but sort of fixed. But the bad news, the good news, is it's unpredictable. Uh, if you export a file, you might get anti-aliasing on all four sides, although that's pretty rare these days. Most likely you'll get anti-aliasing on two of the sides, and sometimes you'll get no anti-aliasing at all. Now what's interesting is that according to Rick Altman, and Rick is uh, a person who writes a lot about CorelDRAW and other Corel products, is that in his discussions with Corel's designers is they don't know exactly what they did to half-fix the problem. So I don't know whether the next version will have the problem fully fixed or whether it'll just be back to where it was. Stay tuned. So now that I've got the grumble out of the way, let's talk about some of the good stuff. One of the good stuff things in this release isn't even in the software. It's just included in the box. It's a booklet. Insights from the Experts, 75-page booklet that features seven designers. It shows how these people use draw to actually create their work. And this is great because it shows people, real-life people, using the program for real-life applications. And this can be very instructive to anyone who's trying to figure out how to do a specific task. You'll look at the... And the the seven people that are highlighted in here cover a wide range of graphic designers. So you'll see how they manipulate the program to create the output they want to create. Great idea. Really glad Corel decided to do that. Neat features that are in the program. There is a new Smart Fill tool. Now, I'm told that Adobe Illustrator had this a couple of years ago, so it's not exactly a new tool, but it would be new to Corel users. The Smart Fill tool recognizes intersections of lines and allows the user to drop a color into any closed area. Now, in the past, let's say you had three circles. You could have three colors, red, green, and blue, for example. So you've got a red circle, a green circle, and a blue circle. If you then overlap those circles, you could maybe apply some transparency to get different colors inside the intersections. But Corel has taken this a huge distance further. Now, wherever the lines intersect, wherever you have described by placing the circles, wherever you've described a closed area, you can drop a color in there. That's pretty neat. You'll find some examples of this, by the way, on the website www.techbiter.com because it's pretty darn hard to explain this in words when you can go look at the picture on the website. I encourage you to do that. Some good things remain in CorelDRAW. Good things that have been there since the original version, the one that I saw in the early 1980s back in New York City. Corel uses what they call a sparse tool set. That doesn't mean there's a shortage of tools. There are certainly a lot of tools in CorelDRAW, but they are grouped in a logical manner. Instead of having, it seems like in some cases with Adobe products, it's instead of having these hundreds, and I know it's not quite hundreds, but it just seems like it sometimes, of little dialogues and boxes all over the screen, Corel's designers put related tools together on the toolbar. For example, the crop tool has beneath it a knife tool and an eraser tool. These are all related. And speaking of the eraser tool, it's no longer a new tool, but this was a hit several years ago. 
photo editing programs, the programs that work just with individual pixels, have for years had eraser tools. Probably from the beginning they had eraser tools. This becomes a little bit more of a problem with a vector program. Vector programs such as Corel Draw allow you to create a graphic that's based on a description of lines, circles, rectangles. Those are the three main tools that you have. You have lines, you have circles, and you have rectangles. You create those, change the vectors for the lines, and then apply a fill to the closed areas. Well, how do you use an eraser with something like that? Corel, a couple of years ago, figured out how you could do that so that you could now actually, in a vector program, erase an area, and the program then recalculates the vector based on what was erased and takes care of of restoring the fill. That was, and still is, a pretty remarkable tool. At least one past error has been fixed. Undo used to be set right out of the box at 100. Well, that's far too much. Takes too much memory, creates too much of a performance hit. And let's face it, how many people want to go back and undo 100 things that they've done. If you figure you have to undo 100 things, you've probably messed up the drawing so badly that you probably ought to just start over again. Well, now the default is 20. You can set it back to 100 if you want. Uh, I wouldn't. And Corel's engineers have created some new features that I don't like. For example, AutoCorrect now can create live hyperlinks. Gee, just like Word and Excel. I turn those features off in Word and Excel. I detest that feature, particularly with Word. If you create, if you allow Word to create a hyperlink based on www.techbiter.com, it creates a hyperlink that if you have the Word document open, it'll take you right to the website. That's, well, I wouldn't say that's great, but it's a feature. What happens when you take that document and pour it into a publishing program? Well, with some publishing programs... The hot link not only won't work, but the text won't even appear. So you think you've typed in a web address, and what you get in the output document from the publishing program is a little blank space. Please, software designers, stop creating this feature, or at least turn it off by default. In CorelDRAW, nudge is still set at one-tenth of an inch. Now, I don't consider a tenth of an inch to be exactly a nudge. If you're working on a piece of paper that's eight and a half inches wide, a tenth of an inch is a pretty big move. This is something that I set sometimes at one one hundredth of an inch or more frequently at one one thousandth of an inch. Now, I maybe know why Corel's designers chose a tenth of an inch. If you set it at a hundredth of an inch or a thousandth of an inch and somebody's working in full-page mode, they'll nudge something and it maybe doesn't look like it moved. At a tenth of an inch, I guarantee you, you'll see it. So maybe this is something the folks in support wanted, to eliminate needless calls. And in any event, people who use the program professionally will know enough to change it. What else is in the box? Well, photo paint is in there. It's been in there for years and years. Not a lot changed, but then it's been a, a pretty reliable product for several years, so not a lot changed there. Corel Capture is there. Corel Capture is not as full-functioned as Snagit, for example but it is certainly a reliable and respectable screen capture program. If you need to capture screens and you don't want to put out money for Snagit, and you've got Corel Graphics Suite, it's a good choice. Bitstream Font Navigator continues to be included, and uh, it continues to be a very useful program. Gone this time, Corel Rave. Rave is something that Corel has tried to get functional 
for several versions of the application now and just have not been able to get anything to happen with it. Rave created Flash Animations. They licensed the technology from Adobe, and I really liked the way the interface worked. I find Flash to be a confusing program to use. Corel had done a good job of getting an interface that worked on Rave, but the program never really caught on with anyone, so rather than continue to pour money into an application that nobody uses, simply costs Corel money, and doesn't have any competitive advantage, they decided to pull the plug on Rave. So bottom line, how many cats for Corel Graphics Suite version X3? I'd give it four. There are still some bugs, there are still some things that need to be fixed. But Corel continues to go in the right direction. Corel is far back from the brink. A few years ago, the company looked like it might possibly not survive. That's no longer in question. And that's good news. Financially, they're in good shape. They continue to produce good, reliable products. And they seem not to be going off in all directions, chasing anything that looks like it might possibly be able to create some income. So thank you, Corel, for continuing with Corel Graphics Suite, continuing to make it better. But do, please, figure out how to fix that anti-aliasing thing. How much space is too much? When is a closet too big? The answer is obvious. There is no such thing as too much disk space, and I keep continuing to prove that. At one time, back in the 1980s, I bought a 16-megabyte hard drive. cost around $1,000. You get a 16-megabyte flash drive these days as a breakfast cereal prize. 500-megabyte flash drive, maybe 20 bucks. Gigabyte flash drives, uh, less than 50 In fact, uh, looking around today, I saw some in the, uh, the $30 and $40 range. I am astonished Uh, whenever I think of having more than a terabyte of disk space. But I do have more than a terabyte of disk space at home. And recently I bought another 300 gigabytes of storage for less than $150. A disk drive, there was a rebate involved there, cost less than $100. And this was a Seagate serial ATA unit. I had to pay a little bit more than expected to get a case with a serial ATA connection inside and USB 2 on the outside, but overall less than $150 for the drive and the case. That works out to about $0.05 a megabyte instead of what I paid back in the 1980s, which would have been around $60 to $65 a megabyte. Where do we go from here? Well, I have more than a terabyte of storage space on the computer. There are two external drives that are connected all the time. There's a third external drive that's network-attached drive, That's available whenever I turn it on. And then there's an additional hard drive that's a USB device that I bring home. I use it for backup. It mainly lives at the office. I bring it home, do the backup, take it back to the office. So more than a terabyte of storage space, but it's on a bunch of drives. I keep hearing that a terabyte's going to be standard even on notebook computers within 10 years. And this just amazes me. I remember headlines in computer magazines, and you probably do too, asking, is one gigabyte enough? That was back when people were installing those huge one gig drives. And of course, I remember when 16 megabytes seemed like more space than I'd ever need. So clearly 16 megabytes wasn't enough, neither was one gigabyte, and neither will be one terabyte. We continue to depend on our computers to store music, photos, and all the stuff that make up our lives. There is no such thing as too much disk space. 
Moving on to nerdly news, we have an old pony that's learned a few new tricks. You already know that if you get an email from your bank, from any business, from PayPal, and it has a link that it wants you to click to go confirm some information, you know not to do that. What about a telephone number, though? There's a new batch of messages coming out, they say, from PayPal. Of course, they're not really from PayPal. They say that there's been a problem with your account and you need to call a phone number. Well, that's different. It's not a link to click, so maybe it's okay to call the phone number. No, it's not okay to call the phone number. Here's what happens. You call the phone number, you hear an automated voice. The voice says, welcome to account verification. Please type your 16-digit card number. Now, what happens after that, I don't know, but you've already given them your credit card number once you type that information in. After that, it will probably ask additional questions. Just exactly the kinds of questions that it would need to be able to use your credit card to make purchases. So if you get a message from your bank, from PayPal, from any other store that says they need to verify information and they give you a phone number, do check the phone number. Go to the website of the organization that has supposedly sent you the email. Check the phone number there. Call the phone number that's on their website, not the phone number that's in an email. And make sure you do get to the website this week, www.techbiter.com, and take a look at the pictures that go along with this next story, a really hot notebook computer. A Dell computer at a conference in Japan exploded, caught fire, and burned. There are photographs, and Dell has admitted that this is their computer. And I'm not casting aspersions at Dell, because the problem most likely isn't Dell's specifically. The problem is most likely the battery in the notebook computer. But this is something to possibly be concerned about. These extremely high-power batteries that provide long life also have an enormous amount of power in there. Take a look at the photos on the site. They are from the Inquirer. Uh, the Inquirer is a technology publication, and the Consumer Product Safety Commission is now taking a look at this to see what uh, what the problem is. Uh, the most likely problem, as I said, is the lithium-ion battery unit. The uh, Consumer Product Safety Commission has found problems with these batteries previously, and Apple, Dell, and HP all have had to recall computers in the thousands because of safety concerns about lithium-ion batteries. Can you imagine what this computer would have done if it had been on someone's lap? More frighteningly, can you imagine what this computer would have done had it been on an airplane? Well, that's a pleasant thought to end with. Thanks for listening. This has been Technology Corner for the week of July 16th, 2006. I'm Bill Blinn. Check out the website, www.techbiter.com. You can also send email from there. Thanks. Bye-bye.